Welcome to A Voice from the Hills. I'm James Warner, co-founder of Silicon Hills Wealth Management here in Austin, Texas. As we wrap up South by Southwest here in Austin, I'm always struck by the talented individuals and cutting edge ideas across all kinds of industries that come into town. They come to South by to be discovered, to convert attendees to fans, to motivate businesses to adopt their platforms. So what better time to welcome Diana Cabrisis to the podcast. Her company mission is not just to market your firm or rep it, but to evangelize for it. We're going to talk about what it means to be a brand evangelist, why we may need to outsource it. And Diana is just the perfect guest to talk us through that. She's literally done hundreds of webinars, stage presentations, and pitches. And those who have seen her in action have a common question afterward. How much can I pay you to do that for me? So without further ado, let's talk evangelism with Diana Cabrisis. James Warner is the founding partner of Silicon Hills Wealth Management and the host of A Voice from the Hills podcast. All opinions expressed by James, his co-host, and his guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Silicon Hills Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Silicon Hills Wealth Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Good afternoon, Diana, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, James, and good afternoon. Yeah, I want to start with your aha moment. Now, it's inspired by that recurring question that we highlighted in our intro. It's, how much can I pay you to do that for my company? Yep. How many times Uh, did you have to hear that before it clicked and when did it click? I would say probably number five when I started to realize, okay, there is a real need here in the marketplace that I can come in and solve. And maybe, just maybe, I don't have to solve it for one company, but rather more than one company at a time, which was the basis for the entire fractional model of my business. And it's funny you asked me this question because a week ago I was at the T3 conference, Technology Tools for Today, and I passed, uh, if you've ever heard of Intergen Data, they are a wealth tech company serving advisors. The CEO's name is Robert Kirk, and he was actually the first CEO back in either 2018 or 2019 that said, hey, Diana, my colleague just marched over here and told me, you need that girl representing your company on stage, <laughs> not you. <laughs> and so it was really cool to see him because it was so full circle. I said, hey, Robert, you remember that comment? Well, that was the first of many, and here I am today. And now you know we're potentially in talks about a partnership. So it's just interesting how it all works. But uh, that those aha moments, you've got to listen to them. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that concept of evangelism. I mean, that's a powerful word, right? So I mean, to me, there are two necessary components of that. I mean, you have to be both a true believer, but then you also have to be an effective messenger. I mean, you aren't just pitching or demoing here. I mean, you're going for the soul of the firm. You're going for the soul of the customer. So what does a company need to do to make you a true believer? And then what's your superpower to transfer that belief to others? So I love that you're asking this question because you're right. It it has to start with being a believer. In fact, I have turned potential clients away even at a time where it would be great to have the income for my new business simply because 
I either just didn't believe in the product or maybe I didn't believe in the way the product was being packaged up and sold into the marketplace. So what do companies need to do to make me a believer? Well, there's a vetting process, James. And, and that is, you know, first and foremost, what's your reputation like today? And it doesn't have to mean that you have this huge reputation and you're known by everyone. I, I think I, I might do more impactful work for companies on the other side of that spectrum. But you right. need to help me understand your why. So I love I love asking founders, like, what is your origin story? Why did you start this company? And that's where you can start to usually pick out what some of those important takeaways are that help form my own belief system and my own passion for the product, hearing it directly from you know the horse's mouth, if you will. And, and in that vetting, it's let's take a look at your technology. And there's some criteria there that I'm looking for. You know, is this sleek? Is it you know, does it have a nice user experience? What does the design feel like? Can I simply and quickly grasp as an end user, as a financial advisor, how to implement this in my practice? And really, and most importantly, does it help advisors serve their clients better? The, the problem today is we're seeing a lot of new technology enter the space. It's, it's, it's skyrocketing, if you will, I like to say. But that doesn't necessarily mean every single technology out there is to make your service to your clients better. So those are some of the criteria. And how can I come in and transform the message? Well, you, you start by looking at all the channels that these companies, these brands are operating in. So through what channels do you talk to your advisors? Maybe it's email for the, the majority. Well, let's take a look at that email. Is there a video in there? Is there a piece of media? And most of the time, no, there's not. And we're learning that's this what, more and more. That's what you refer to as kind of a dead channel, right? A, a bit, right? And, and I'll talk about that too with like partnerships, right? So they're also partnered with other, you know, vendors in the space that support advisors like broker dealers or RIAs or IMOs. And those are usually dead channels too. It was, you know, we'll, we'll do a handshake partnership or even some sort of formal agreement. But after the initial, you know, hoorah and announcement, things just kind of go dead. You, you really need someone going through those channels, evangelizing, sharing the story and giving more value to the partner in exchange. So there's there's so many ways we could look at it. There's so many different approaches. Uh, the, the biggest takeaway, James, is humanization, right? So that email example I used, some people don't want to read a long text email. They don't want to read text at all. Some people want to listen or they want to see. And that's the, the beauty of having more of a face and a voice in your company is that humanization aspect. And so before I knew who you were, I overheard some people talking about uh, the demo queen and they were talking about the demo queen at a conference. Uh, it was kind of funny. That's a really cool title, by the way. I, I don't know if it's official or not, but I, it, at least it gets, uh, at least it gets bandied about in unofficial circles. So, and, and one person in the group was pretty incredulous. They're like, you know, seriously, how can you make a demo special? I mean, it's, it's a freaking demo. And another member chimed in, uh, and she said, oh, you, you just don't understand. She gives your demo a soul. Hmm. And I thought, wow, that's cool. Wow. So I, I know you've done hundreds of them. How do you do that? Um, I love that comment. That that just made my day, honestly. Yes. How do you give a demo a soul? The thing about demos is that most approaches to giving a demo is informational. 
right? And so we want to tell you A, B, C, X, Y, Z. We want to show you all the different elements. And it's just this one, you know, really long, drawn out informational session. But I look at a demo completely differently. Yes, it needs to be informational. It needs to be educational. But I look at a demo as more, it needs to be persuasive and it needs to be engaging. Like you, you want people to be really tuned into your demo from beginning to end. So whereas most people would start a demo with today, I'm going to show you how the inner workings of this technology platform are, and we're going to start here. And then you move here and then you move here. I take the approach of asking an immediate question that talks to their pain points. Hey, do you struggle with getting content out on a consistent basis? Well, let me show you how ABC XYZ is going to help you solve these pain points get more sleep, get time back in your day, et cetera, right? That was just sort of off the cuff. And the the reaction from the audience is all the different when you take that second approach, right? They're more, oh, immediately she's talking to me. You know, she's just not here to showcase something. She's actually speaking to me. We're, we're not reading for page one here. We are. We went to my page of the book and now we're, uh, now I'm interested. So yeah, yep. I, I totally get it. Yeah. And so, but that's a little bit of a special skill, right? To understand where Mm -hmm. those pain points are and how you tie those to, you know, to a demonstration that obviously a a tech company is going to want you to show their wares and want you to show what's going on. How Mm -hmm. how much of that special skill that you have is innate Mm -hmm. and how much of it have you developed through experience? I mean, and hard work. I mean, what's, how much is nature and how much is nurture? I guess is what I'm asking. What, Mm -hmm. uh, what would Mm -hmm. you say? I would say about, I was going to say half and half, but maybe, maybe I'll say 60% is nature and 40% is nurture. When I think back to, you know, my first job at a tech company and having to get on and give a demo, it, it radically different than the way I would come on and give a demo today, but still at a level where I would get feedback that, that was really great. You know, you just took everything I wanted to learn and you packaged it up and you delivered it so beautifully in under five minutes. And I, I don't even have any questions, right? You answered all of my questions. Those are great comments. But I think when I look at the evolution of the way I've given demos over the years, and this is just through so much practice, James, you're right. I've given hundreds of demos. Um, I, I think it really, I really took it to another level through practice And through understanding that sales is not just, here's a solution, right? Sales is, let's talk about your problems. Let's talk about how those make you feel, right? It's a bit of an emotional experience. And that's why consultative selling is so much more popular. And and even we're seeing, you know, firms and tech companies now place more of their budgets on marketing to get sales in the door than the actual sales team because you want to you know really understand someone's pain points, their experiences, their challenges, their desires and bundle all that up in a great message. So um, I went off on a tangent there, but I would yeah, say but, about no, I think 60 you're right. Years. I think a lot for for the end user out there, I think a lot of these technology platforms look a lot alike. Mm-hmm. And so oh, yeah. if, if you have one that engages with you on a different level, uh, then it may be easier to to tell them apart. I mean, I can, I can sit through four demos and if they're all the same uh, at the end, you know, with, with my level of, you know, 
technological expertise being what it is, it's maybe more confusing than enlightening. Mm-hmm. But if if I can find somebody who can take one of those four, and let, let's assume they're all equal, but they can take one of those four and they can connect that to me, which is what you're doing. Well, then that puts them in the lead right away, you know, and that's that's a really important uh, just from a user, you know, from a user in that's a really important thing for me. And I think well, that's true even when we're talking to our clients. I mean, most of the time, the most engaging, you know, conversations you have with clients don't go from A to B to C to D to E. They right. start they start in the middle. They go back to the front. They go to the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing. And, and that's something that I've watched your work and kind of understood what you do. And I think you can't discount the fact that having hundreds of different, you know, presentations and performances that, you know, that that's value that, that means something. Right. Uh, and so I, I didn't want to give that nurture aspect of it short, short shrift. Cause I know you talk about your big Mo being magnetism and uh, what, what is it? Magnetism. And what's the other one? Uh, evoking emotion. Voice. Yeah. The magnetism voice. and voice, I think. Was For, yep. Yep. Things. Yeah. And man, if you can give those two things to a tech product, you're, you're, <laughs> you're really killing it. Well, it's, you know, it's commoditization too. I mean, in a commoditized tech space, the experience is the differentiator. So you want to create the experience with the demo. That is a, a great place to start. And, and so tech companies operate, of course, on all different levels of spectrums and stages and stuff from no revenue startup to established firms with languishing or, you know, maybe dead channels, dead markets. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular stage where a company is where you feel like they can best maximize the value of a chief evangelist? This is a on-point question and one that I've been getting asked quite a bit. And as I have spent the last, call it three months already, can't believe it, um, having calls with different tech owners and operators that, you know, I've been learning really what stage of the business are you in and what needs do you have and what kind of support infrastructure do you have in place to really help amplify the work of an evangelist? I don't, um, you know, I want to be careful about the way I say this, but I think if you have an established marketing department, even if that's one or two people. And that's what maybe we're usually seeing around like a a seed or series A funded type company in that phase of their business. You're going to have a great foundation for an evangelist to come in and do wonderful things and and make it meaningful for you. When you're looking at maybe pre-funding or even bootstrapped wealth tech companies that have maybe three people in total running the show you can still leverage an evangelist. And that comment I made earlier about, you know, tech companies shifting from sales to marketing. Um, I'm seeing this right now. I'm in conversations with a wonderful tech company that has no sales team, no marketing department. He's pretty much done it all, but he would rather invest right now in a, in a magnetic voice and personality and someone to go out there and help um, just drive that attention and amplify their story than paying, you know, a lot more money to staff up a full-blown sales team. My only concern is, hey, potentially there's going to be projects we'll take on that'll take a little longer. 
you know, or maybe it'll be a little more expensive. We need to bring in some freelancers to help build the full infrastructure. But to answer your question, I think companies that have uh, a sales presence and a marketing presence of some sort, an evangelist is going to be able to come in, do their work, and they're going to have the support. Example, I can do an awesome webinar. I can create the entire deck. But how much better would that deck be if I was working with marketing, listening to pain points that they're much closer to in the business than I am, looking at the data post-webinar, leveraging their technology? You're just all the more powerful. And so given your your level and years of experience, I mean, you've got a, a pretty good dossier on most of the established tech you know, in our industry, right? So. I would imagine you've got your secret list of uh, of <laughs> companies that you'd like to evangelize for. Uh, what I do? <laughs> how does how does a company reach out to you and share their message with you so that you can decide whether or not it's a company and a product or a, or a brand that you you know you can get behind enough to do what you do? So I start with a free growth assessment. And I've developed, it's maybe 20 to 30 question long um, sort of assessment of understanding where are you at in the business? How are your financials? What are your goals? What are your challenges? And most of the companies that I'm in talks with, they've just seen my launch online and they've reached out, they've booked a call directly from my website, which has been wonderful. And they are in talks with me. They, they book that growth assessment and then we go through that full process together. And that might take one call. It might take two calls, usually two. Um, so I, I do have a target list. I love that you said that. I actually have not yet really gone outbound to target these companies because um, I don't know. I don't think it's a pride thing. I, I think I, I'm very busy, number one, but I, I want to be super cautious. And I feel like for the first time ever, James, you know, being away from a W-2 position where you're working so, so much and, and under certain parameters, I don't have that anymore. You know, I, I can actually go and take my time, see what companies are interested in me first hear why they're interested in me, and then start to develop more of that, you know, ICP, if you will, that ideal client profile before even going out and targeting other companies to say, hey, I know you're going through this, this, and this. Here's what I have to deliver. I'm also perfecting my own pitch. It takes time. Um, And so, yeah, so far, everyone's been inbound and we start with a growth assessment and they're really insightful, deep dive sessions where I can learn all the things from your company from a growth standpoint and sort of assess the existing evangelist ecosystem, which most firms don't have, uh, you know, a lot going on there and then decide if they'd be a right fit for me. Well, just from my own personal opinion, I mean, your rollout was just flawless. I mean, everything about it's authentic, it's on point. And I'm sure it's a great model for others. And I, I'm sure it's probably one of your best marketing pieces is just to let people see how you've done what you did. Right. Um, yeah. Now I, I think I, I don't want to let too much time go by without talking about your time at snappy Kraken. So okay. that was a huge success story in our industry. And, and I know you had a tremendous amount to do with that. I have a lot of respect for Robert and what their team does. Um, two questions. What lasting imprint did you leave on Snappy Kraken culture? What what part of Snappy Kraken is still, you know, still has Diana, you know, just molded into it? 
And, and what's the one thing you would take away from, you know, working with Robert and alongside the team at Snappy Kraken that you're, uh, that you're going to use going forward, you think? Yeah. Snappy Kraken, uh, has been the highlight of my entire career. I don't know how much longer I'll say that because I'm loving what's happening right now, but so far they've been the highlight. And, you know, when I look at what imprint that I left at Snappy Kraken, I, I'm smiling so big right now for anyone who's not watching our video, but they still have my demo on their website. <laughs> and it's been six months and they still have it on their website. And uh, when I talk to, you know, my friends like I said, there. I have, a, I have a lot of respect for Robert. If it works, why mess with it? Exactly. And they're, that's exactly how, you know, they operate and we always operate it is don't, don't break what's not broken. Um, and I think a lot of companies are quick to try and refresh things so often, but if it's not necessary, then why do it? But um, I do think I left that impression. I, I think since I've left, you know, colleagues and, and old coworkers have said, you know, we, we really miss your voice around here. Like, man, our partnerships could really use your webinars right now. And um, yeah, so I think I left sort of that impression. And I actually, so they did an award series every year. And the last one that we did, I won the award uh, company-wide for like forging the most connections. And that was something I always focused on. And it's actually a really important element of an effective chief evangelist is make sure everyone in that company knows you. Make sure you have a relationship with them. Make sure you know them, you understand them. It just creates such a better culture. And I think I really left that mark at Snappy Crack. And at least I would like to think so. Now, now when, when we talk about fractional evangelism, are, are you the first person to do that? So I know of one person who runs sort of like a 1099 evangelist company. I don't, I don't actually know her name at the, at the top of my head. She is an evangelist for a company called ClickUp. And she's a brand ambassador for a company called Agora Pulse, I believe, or just Agora. Um, she's the only person I know that's sort of on the outside of an organization, but still serving as an evangelist of the organization. In our yeah, industry, obviously, though, no, it's never been done. Well, you're on a very short list. Let's 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 say yeah. that. I'm sorry yeah. I interrupted you, but oh, what was the one thing you took away from working with Snappy Kraken that you're uh, that you're using yeah. today, or you think you'll use going forward? So Snappy Kraken is anything but mainstream. Like status quo, we stay away from it, right? Mm -hmm. And I I was taught that by Robert. I was taught that by Angel Gonzalez, the CMO. Um, Patrice Kelly, the chief content uh, and design officer, excuse me, everything that they wanted to put out, it needed to be different. It needed to be even we were a marketing automation platform. You rarely heard us call ourselves a marketing automation platform. Never we were an automated that. growth program. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because we don't want to be like the other people in the space. And I just I learned um, to be creative. I learned to always look at something and say, is this different? Is this unique? you know, or is this like what everyone else is doing? And um, there's, you know, I think a double-edged sword there, right? Because you want to package and ship work out and not overanalyze things. But at the same time, like if you just do that and you're doing what everyone else does and you're, you know, using the same, uh, you know, scripts from chat GPT as everyone else is using, then how are you going to stand out and be different? And so I've been so inspired by them to just put out the most quality work 
that I can and, you know, never just be satisfied with the status quo, always be different. Well, I know we, we traded a couple of texts back and forth, just, you know, limited, uh, you know, bits of advice and things like that. But when I, when I saw your, all your stuff come out, I thought, wow, I'm so impressed that it's you. Yeah, thank you. And and that is so hard. I mean, I think actually I think that's why we all need that fractional evangelist cuz it's very difficult to evangelize for yourself. Oh, I mean, yeah. we we all run into, you know, the you know that that whole concept of imposter syndrome and we know if if we're paying attention, we know how many other good people there are in our business and how many other talented options there are to choose from. And so that creates some self-doubt. But even when we don't have that, it's still kind of hard to beat your chest and talk about how great you are and and not and not feel like you're doing yourself a little bit of a disservice. So I, I think that's mm-hmm. even for really good companies run by really confident people, it's it's really hard to evangelize for yourself. So I that's one of the things that I think is is really unique about what you're uh you know about what you're embarking on. Have you found that feedback coming back to you from anybody? Has has anybody kind of reached out and said, Yeah, I, I know I need to do this, but I just can't. Yes. Oh yeah. And I've actually learned this more myself by launching my own business. So I'll I'll kind of uh, extend on that a little bit or expand. Um, yes, I've had tech CEOs tell me I can't do this or I don't want to do this or I don't have time to do this. I should be focusing somewhere else. But the comment specifically on, you know, I think when you're in your own ecosystem, you kind of you get in your head too much and you you can't look at your product or your story from an outside perspective and really pick out those really unique and interesting things and spit them back out in a very compelling way it's harder to do that for yourself and i started realizing this when i started building my business and building my website and writing all my copy and making that video script for that video that i did on my launch it was hard. And I, I actually dealt with a lot of imposter syndrome, James, through that process because I was like, I don't, I don't think I can do this. Like, I, I can't launch this. And I can't, you know, I can't remember in this very moment who it was, but it was somebody in this industry that told me, um, nobody does well at telling their own thing right? Like you, it's so much easier as an outsider to come in and do this amazing work. Don't be afraid. Like this is a common struggle other people have, but you know, the minute you start picking up clients, this is totally a different challenge. And it has been like with Wealthbox, it's so easy for me to be like, oh, I want to pick that, that, and that. And that's what I want to spotlight. Cause it's not me. For me, it took me a lot longer of a process. You're in your head so much more. Well, I think that's actually kind of the means for your existence, right? Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're all facing that same, and, and it, and it's whether you're the decision maker of a larger organization or whether, you know, whether it's a smaller enterprise, I, I don't know that it gets any easier, but I think the, the smaller the enterprise or the more, the more, I, I guess the closer you are to that founder role, probably mm-hmm. the harder it is to have that actual, you know, that actual conversation for most people. I mean, there's always an exception, yes. to the rule, but sure. Well, let's back up a little bit and talk about your time as a teacher. Uh, you taught English as a second language uh, for, mm-hmm. I guess about three years. Uh, yep. What was that experience like and, and what did you take from it uh, that you use today? 
So being a English teacher, so it was ESL, English as a sec English as a secondary language. It taught me to be better in my own English. And I, I think the reason for that was I had to go back to primary school learning and think about, okay, you know, what's the, the past, present, future, the past participle? What's the appropriate way to write this or to say this? And uh, that it, during that time of my life, which was my early 20s, I was traveling and I needed to pick up some work. Um, so I started teaching Spanish speaking students who wanted to learn English. It made me just get structured in my own English even more than I already was at the time. I, I think I've always been a pretty good communicator, but there's nothing like going back to the school books and reminding yourself what is the proper way of saying things or the proper tenses. It just helped me polish my own skills, which I am forever grateful for because now, you know, in the position that I'm in, even though you don't have to write perfectly anymore. In fact, most would argue that you should write like you speak now to get more attention. <laughs> we, we try to write imperfectly to be more authentic. You know, it's, it's yeah, crazy. exactly, which is funny, but it definitely served me well. And it's just it, the cultural side of it all too. You know, you don't realize when you're a native English speaker, the, the just amazing gift that you have, right? Other people wanting to learn our language and speak it in our way. And even in our accent, like the American accent is always favored over, you know, the British accent when you're teaching in Spain, for example, they wanted American teachers in China, the, the kids I taught in Beijing, they wanted American teachers. So um, you just realize what a gift that you have. And it, I think it's really important to share with the world and in the process, it makes you better. And so when you're teaching the, the Chinese students, I guess they were kind of age, age three to 12, something like that. Younger, younger students. Yep. yep. You're, you're teaching them English mm -hmm. and, and their first language, I guess, is uh, Mandarin. Mandarin or, or, or mm -hmm. some, some dialect, uh, Chinese dialect. How do you, how do you do that? Do you speak Mandarin well enough to, to make that happen or how, or, or did they speak English well enough to bridge that gap? What, uh, what was that like? So Ni Hao is the only Mandarin I know how to speak, which means hello. Hello. Um, yeah. so <laughs> it was a totally immersive program. And the way we did it was, you know, you had a lot of visuals on the screen and you had audio, you had my voice and it was just, it, you know, if you're three or four, which I had those students, they're just so precious. Um, you just start with words and a symbol, right? Cat, dog elephant, cow, and then you hear the noises and then they, they do the noises with you. So you're just kind of building on those like foundational words. And then the older that they get, you know, they're, they're immersed in English with me, but they're also learning English at school in China. And so they're, they're getting more exposure throughout the day, not just in our hour long session, but the older they got, it was like, they could, they could have great conversations with me and your brain is your brain, you know, you understand things even when you don't know how to say certain words or you don't understand what those words mean. But in the context of a larger sentence, these kids are really smart. They would pick up on it pretty quickly. So really, that was a that was kind of the uh, the start of your demo career then, because you're you're really <laughs> did you have any. Uh, how, how did you have to deal with did you have to deal with technology Did technology failure from time to time during that process? I bet it wasn't easy, was it? 
it wasn't easy. Uh, it was sometimes a little draining, right? Hour upon hour, just back to back, teaching English, smiling on the camera. Um, you know, the technology sometimes, yes, could be clunky or it could fail you. And then you just kind of pivot into something natural, uh, natural conversations. But it it was definitely part of my demonstration nurturing the, that phase of my uh, career. Absolutely agree. Before I taught English, uh, I did do product demonstrations live for health stuff. So like supplements or, you know, anything for healthy food. I used to like work in that whole industry, Ayurvedic Chinese medicine. And that was really cool too. I think I've been I think I've been honing in on the demo skills for quite some time. <laughs> well, anybody who gets a, a five-star rating from a hundred out of a hundred parents must be doing something right. So, uh, <laughs> so that, that, was, that was pretty cool. That's one hell of an accomplishment. I'll tell you that. Thanks, if James. you can get a hundred parents to agree, you're doing a great job. You're, you're really killing it. So. Yeah. And, and you're they, also I, a birth doula. Uh, for those yes. who, aren't, who aren't familiar with that, what is it and how'd you get involved in it? How'd you get interested in it? Yeah. So a birth doula is very much, um, you know, of service to birthing moms or people in this day and age. But I really, I got connected in the space of being a birth doula when I was living in Miami. And I don't know what exactly it was. I, I have my own interesting stories from um, being just a young teenager and ending up in a situation that I didn't expect and going through an experience that kind of opened my eyes to some of the gaps in the world of birth. And then in my mid-20s, I was like, I have baby fever, but I know I don't want a baby yet. So I'm going to go get doula training and I'm going to help women have their babies. And uh, it was such a good experience for me. And I learned a lot. I supported quite a few women and the whole basis of a doula is I want to be very similar to an evangelist, your advocate, right? You need a birth team. You need someone advocating for you, not just you, not just your partner, but someone who understands and has been trained on sort of the medical environment of birth, what to expect. So there's that educational side of it too, where I would come in, sit down with the parents and really present to them how, you know, this was going to go, what they could expect, how they should prepare, what are some of the tactics and strategies to make it a smoother process. So it's very much educational advocacy. And then in the birth room, uh, being there as a physical support, which I think was probably one of my biggest challenges. James, you know, I'm a very tiny person. And so the, the physical <laughs> support was a little challenging sometimes. 17 hour labors, you know, just rubbing the mom's back, doing all the different um, techniques and helping alleviate some of that pain for her. I, I'm not an active doula, I'd say anymore, but I do still do doula work. It's usually uh -huh. the educational and I'm actually headed to Columbia next week to be my sister's doula. She's having her first child in oh, Columbia. Congratulations. That'll be terrific. <laughs> Thank what, what you. What part of like, Columbia does she live in? She's in Bogota. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're I've never been. The, I'm going to the big city. So that's good. Yeah. Yep. Going to the big city. Uh, and she has a whole birth team. I'm just, you know, one of, I think, three doulas, a midwife, and then there's an OBGYN across the street in case anything happens because she's going to do a home birth. But it is such an important line of work. Most people don't know it exists. I encourage every woman out there to understand what the role of the doula is to 
even become a doula if you want, just to to really get close to that part of our, you know, of our existence, of our being as women. It's so powerful. Well, that's really cool. And, and hearing you talk about it, when you talk about it in a process-oriented way, it, it sounds there's a lot of similar things to what you're doing in the business world and what you do in the in the birthing room, right? So yeah. let, let's talk specifics. What what does a fractional evangelist engagement look like? Uh, let, let's assume you've you found a company that you believe in, they believe in you. Talk us through the process, the expectations, and that ultimate outcome that you're looking for in a successful engagement. Yeah. So I like to say that an evangelist adds value across the entire relationship or revenue spectrum, from sales to marketing to partnerships to customer success, even to product. And when I start with a client, the first thing we're going to do is assess what areas of these business do you have gaps? And here are all the things I could do. What type of you know scope and statement of work do we want to build together based on your needs? It's going to look a little different for everyone. So, so that, the first that scope, of, that scope of work is fairly unique client to client then in this. Yes, in exactly. This okay. And they're sort of cherry picking from a menu, if you will, of different deliverables and responsibilities I could take on. And, and really in that first 30 days, James, it's let's have a branding session. Let's dive deep into the brand, the origin story, the why, the tagline, the slogan, the colors, like all the things I need to know in order to start being another voice of your brand and creating content on your behalf that is branded to your firm. And then from there, it's let's talk about our top priorities. So that might be we want to spotlight more of our customer testimonials. Some advisors have said some really powerful things about us. We need more people to see this. So, okay, we know in our first month, two months, three months, we're going to prioritize interviewing as many customers as we can, whether that's in person or just through a platform like Zoom or, or Riverside. It also might look like you know, we want to implement a new webinar strategy. So here's what we're doing currently. It works, but we think we could spice it up. So I come in and sort of build a playbook that I've already built and executed on in the past with great success on what kind of webinar strategy should we take now and through which channels should we take it, mainly being the partnership channels. Um, so it, it really, yeah, we're, we're just going kind of through that spectrum um, and, and identifying where do you need help and, and then making sure we're prioritizing the work correctly. Now, the fractional side, James, means that it's part time. So my model today, and I don't know if this will always be my model, but it, it's what I'd like to start with is each client gets a full work day a week, meaning I probably will really only be able to take on four clients at max. But within each week, I'm giving you a full day, I'm executing, and we're having a meetup so that you know what I'm working on. And you also know what you know progress I've made or what results that we've achieved through the work that we're doing together. I'm also doing, because it's a fractional evangelist model, which is different than other fractional executives like a fractional CMO or a fractional CFO, they're usually on the back lines of the company or the back end of the company, if you will, supporting teams, managing people. I'm not doing any of that. I'm very much front and center. I'm not managing anyone as an evangelist unless they would want to like have me nurture and coach an up and coming evangelist in the company. But I'm very much on the front lines. So um, because of that, 
super important that I give category exclusivity to my clients. So Wealthbox is my first client. I would never go and work with another CRM in this space. It I was wondering tacky. about that because it's it, yeah. it'd be difficult to evangelize for two competing products, I would think, right? Yes, absolutely. I think um, in most cases of the fintech map, if you will, all the different categories, the category exclusivity applies and it's necessary. I think in one area I'm seeing now as I'm exploring is like the digital marketing space. There are digital marketing technology platforms for advisors that only focus on generating leads or that focus on creating nurturing content or that focus on getting advisor reviews, right? So that's the only area that's getting a little bit, uh, I don't know if I'd call it tricky, but it's giving me something to think about for sure. But outside of that, yeah, that that makes so much sense. So yeah. So once once your once your Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday are taken, then it's going to be a, a free for all to get Thursday, and then. Yeah, yeah, um, I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm actually closing in on my second client right now. I'm very excited, and we're going with Thursday. So now I've got Tuesday, Monday, and Friday, and the question becomes. How much time do I want for me and Diana Cabrisi's consulting? And how much time do I want to give away to my clients? So we'll yeah. see. Well, you're obviously breaking some new ground here. And I, and I know how hard you work to launch the firm and, and prep for it. Well, actually, I don't. I mean, you probably worked a lot harder than I expected you did. But <laughs> what have you learned through the process? And what was harder than expected? And specifically, I'm interested for for people who are thinking about kind of starting their own gig. Maybe they've had their aha moment. Somebody's come to them and said, you know, how much can I pay you to do this for me? Right. Um, What help and assistance did you get along the way that you found the most valuable to you? Oh man, I had so many people show up for me in this industry over the past five months. It's just blown me away. Um, I could give lots of shout outs, but I think the overall message here is connect with your people around you. And also that's not as hard as you might think it will be. If you go out and you sell the market, I'm going to launch something on my own. You would be surprised how many incredible people in this industry, yourself included, James, would reach out and say, hey, I'm here to chat if you need it. Take them up on that. Because with every conversation, you gain new perspective. And that is just all you know. the more powerful. When you do go out and launch, you have a very well-rounded offering. And I cannot say thank you enough to some of these wonderful people in the space that were there for me, that offered me their advice and supported me. I think on the other side of it, sure, it, it's pretty lonely. And there's always the you know, for me at least, the nonstop thinking in my head. I couldn't sleep most nights through the launch phase. I'm getting more sleep now, which is great. I couldn't sleep most nights. And I think I just had to like tell myself and realize this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. There is always going to be that thinking. There's always going to be a lot to do. I have a big vision for this that I didn't even share with you on today's call. But right now, I'm going to just focus on today and what I can control and what I can accomplish. So really, you know, to your question, I think it's the mindset shift and the mental strength that you need to be a successful business owner slash solo entrepreneur. It cannot be understated. You need to strengthen your mind muscle. 
Oh, I love it. So I, I can't let you go without talking about thrift shopping. I mean, my daughters love it too. Uh, so is it about the deal specifically, or is it about rescuing a wardrobe and, you know, presenting it anew? What, what, what percentage are we talking about here? I think a lot of it's about the deal for me. It's I love about the deal. deal. And I, I knew as soon as I saw the expression on your face, it's about the deal, right? I love you're, a good deal. You're not rescuing dead channel wardrobes here. You're just, you're just. No, nope. uh, nope. and, and you know, the sustainability is important. My sister yeah. is huge on slow fashion. I'm probably less focused on that aspect of it all. I'm, I'm more about the money side. I love a good deal. This shirt is actually from Goodwill, funny enough. But I also just, um, you know, I grew up in the hustle mentality. You know, we had to always ask for discounts. We had to, you know, I had to say I was 10 when I was really 12 to get the, the child's meal, right? And I just have that ingrained in my brain. And so when I go to a place like Goodwill and I can, easily find some really stellar pieces and rock them and, you know, save a lot of money in the process. I don't know, James, I just feel really good about it. And obviously you feel feel good at the point of purchase and at the point of uh, presentation, right? Yeah. And people will always compliment. Like, I love your outfit. I'm like, Goodwill. I I never hesitate to share. Go to Goodwill. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's close with this. Uh, Just tell the audience the how and the why you, you, you hinted at your vision a little bit. I don't know how much of that you want to share at this point, but if you, uh, if you do, that would be great. How do uh, listeners get in touch with you? How do they reach out to you? And just let them know why should they make that connection? Yeah. So quick, quick point on the vision. I'm one person. Uh, it's, it's coming out to be, I'm already sort of forming a wait list and I've really thought, okay, well, there's value in the offer. Yes, I am part of the offer, but there's other wonderful people in the industry that are also just as valuable. And so potentially this could turn into more of a, there's two evangelists, there's three evangelists, there's four evangelists, and we're all operating off the same effective playbooks, but giving everything our own spin. So long-term vision, how can people get in touch with me? The first place I want to send anyone is to my website, simply because I put so much time into it and I'm proud of it. It might not be that great, but I'm pretty proud of it. it, It's really great. Yeah. Um, And that's just my first and last name, dianacabrises.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn as Diana Cabrises. And I always like to spell that last name for any listeners. It is the word cab, like a taxi, rice, which I love to eat. And then you throw an S on the end of it and you have Cabrices. So Twitter, <laughs> LinkedIn, and my website. Well, Diana, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck. And I know you're I know you're gonna kill it. And for all those out there, I guess Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday are, are still available, at least as of this recording. <laughs> thank you so much, James. This was a pleasure. And that's a wrap for this episode of A Voice from the Hills podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And for access to this episode and all prior episodes, you can subscribe to A Voice from the Hills on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcast. You can follow A Voice from the Hills and Silicon Hills Wealth Management on social media to gain access to all of our content. And we've also rolled out a new mini pod called The Stream. The stream is going to highlight timely updates and information and introduce important ideas and concepts in short but impactful three-minute micropods. You can subscribe separately to the stream on all podcast platforms, and you can access the stream through any Alexa-enabled device by simply asking Alexa to play the latest update from Silicon Hills Wealth. 
If you'd like to learn more about Silicon Hills Wealth and the services we offer, please visit our website. And as always, we cannot thank you enough for engaging with us. We can only do our best work when you are here to listen.